0: Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash Elite. And it's all that we know, it's the way of life, give all that we got. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at BTEracing.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome to,
0: or welcome back, to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed, where we sometimes discuss, where are we going this week, Jed? Um, Johnny oh. Bracket Racer and Chris Garrettson.
1: Uh, a couple all stars there worth discussing, and you know got other serious stuff on the on the agenda this evening too, Luke. So,
0: yeah, I mean, where else to start, right? This is the this is the coronavirus episode now. I think we need to preface this with one thing, Jed. I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'll, I'll let you do your own. Um, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a uh, Uh, a viral contagion expert which is fine because i'm sure that all of you like me have several of those on your social media timeline right you don't need to hear it from me (laughs) everyone seems to be an expert um but uh, we're in a little bit of a tough spot here jed because uh, obviously uncertainty is huge no one really knows what's going on or certainly What happens next if you if if anyone that thinks they do is probably fooling themselves and depending on who you listen to this is either the apocalypse or it's a complete hoax right and it's seemingly nothing in between um i i think like anything there's there's probably some gray in between that that black and white in between that zero and a hundred percent um but i don't know where that gray area lies right so um by and large, I, I think we're what we're going to try to do in this show is stick to the facts and um, be somewhat, I guess, limited in in sharing perspective for two reasons. Number one, we don't know. Like I just talked to you, I don't, I don't, I, we don't know any more than you do about what this is going to look like in a week, a month, a day, right? We've, we've never witnessed anything like this in our lives, just like you haven't. And the other part of this is we're recording this on uh, Monday evening. By the time that you hear this, I think we're going to try to speed up production and maybe get this out a day earlier than normal, get this out on Tuesday. But regardless, if you hear this six hours from the time that we record it, a lot of what we'd say might be irrelevant, Jed. This is so fluid.
1: It is, Luke. And, you know, it's, we'll we'll spare opinion because uh, everybody's got one. and. Quite frankly, I've been through every emotion you can uh, you can share or you can have uh, <laughs> on this subject uh, from when I first heard about it to now. So again, opinion really doesn't matter at this point. We'll we'll discuss the facts and we'll discuss uh, how it has uh, made its impact on the reason we're here talking about stuff on this show and you know. I don't think we'll give the listeners any info they didn't already know for the most part, but definitely a subject that,
0: that needs to be discussed. Yeah, no doubt. With that um, in mind, Jed, like I think our role here is to attempt to discuss the impact that the coronavirus has had and could have going forward on the racing community. Um, We do actually have a little bit of actual races to discuss some race results. So that'll be fun. We'll get to that. Um, And then like part of the, the goal of our show every week is to just create some entertainment and um, (coughs) now probably more than ever um, that, that diversion for several of you is probably needed. So towards the end of the show, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We've got a, a segment put together that I think you're really going to enjoy and uh, and, and and break some of this mood, some of this uh, I don't know if it's anxiety or just uncertainty that, that surrounds all of us. So we'll get to that too. So like I say, uh, a, a little bit of uh, of commentary on on what this means, what this could potentially mean, what we've seen so far. Um, some actual race results. And a little bit. All right, Jed, where I wanted to start, and this is this is going to seem a little bit repetitive in the moment, but if perhaps you are um, listening to this podcast, I don't know, three months from now, three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now, right? Um, I just want to give a timeline to to explain and kind of reiterate how crazy the last, what, five days have been, right? Yeah. So for me, I think the thing that really set this off and it's like, because I had I read a little bit and heard some rumblings, hey, this is this could be a big deal. When the NBA announced that their season was suspended, like that was the first, oh, my God, what's going on here, right? And that was Wednesday night. And that seemed to set off this timeline of, I don't know, like four to six hours. It was just one thing after another that, I mean, it felt like the world's coming to an end, right? Um, yeah. Tom, Tom Hanks and his wife test positive. That's Wednesday night. The NCAA tournament is canceled. You know, for those of us sports nuts, like that was uh, unimaginable. You know, a week ago, right? That was Thursday. Um, Within that same time frame, I think within an hour, um, best I can remember, the NHRA uh, canceled isn't the right word. Canceled the the pro section of the the Gator Nationals. Um, Continued the the sportsman categories, which we'll get into that decision and and the results from that as well. But that happened Thursday morning. I believe it was Friday, President Trump declares a a national state of emergency. Sunday, this is now March 15th, um, came the the CDC announcement, which I I haven't seen a lot of racers really pay attention to, but I haven't seen it brought up a ton on social media. But essentially, the the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, um, issued a, a, it's not a, I guess a recommendation would be the best way to put this, that no gatherings of 50 or more people take place over the course of the next eight weeks, which would take us into early May. <clears throat> and they, there were some stipulations in there that didn't include businesses, that didn't include schooling. It um, <clears throat> was just a recommendation, like if it's an unnecessary activity, if 50 people are more, uh, cancel it, postpone it. And obviously that would include any sporting event, I- including racing. Um, and then Monday, which is today as we record, nhra made the announcement that all nhra competition is canceled for the next 30 days which takes us into mid-april when i say all nhra competition the way that i read that is not only national and divisional events but any events at nhra um owned facilities and again the way that i read it any events at nhra sanctioned tracks which i assume is a is uh, an insurance liability, right? Because I, my, my understanding is that all NHRA tracks are under a blanket insurance policy. So I assume that's the reasoning for that wording, but I don't know that specifically.
1: Yeah, you know, Luke, and, you know, it's crazy how these events went from, well, we're still going to have them, but we're going to have them with no fans to not seemingly, but uh, actually overnight changing from, well, no, we're not going to have them at all now. Forget, forget, no fans. We're going to just cancel. You know, PGA, NASCAR, all of your major sports uh, systems have shut down. NHL, all of that, and that was all in the from the Wednesday night to Friday morning time frame as well. And you know, that's just in relation to sports. That's right. You know, you you start thinking now about the impact in the schools and everywhere else, and there is a lot of shutdown that's happened across the country and seemingly still more to come.
0: Yeah. Um, keeping the focus on, or, or I guess turning the focus to, to sportsman drag racing specifically, <clears throat> obviously we mentioned the the Gator Nationals where the, the professional side was canceled. Um, there was no, uh, there were no spectators. No spectator tickets sold. You know, obviously, you had the sportsmen on the ground and the, the, the families and people with them, but I believe that they were outside of race officials were the only ones at the racetrack. Um, and then, obviously, NHRA's announcement today that uh, all NHRA sanctioned competition is off for 30 days. <clears throat> A lot of uh, individual tracks and series also popping up with um, cancellations and postponements, but also... Um, a handful of um, events uh, popping up saying like, no, as of now, which again, we're recording on Thursday evening, uh, where all systems go, we're having this race or that race. So it's just interesting to to watch it unfold. Um, some of the notable events that uh, we know have been canceled to this point, we mentioned all NHRA sanctioned events, um, probably the biggest bracket race to this point to, uh, to be postponed was uh, the Desert Classic out in Phoenix which was supposed to take place this past weekend. Is that correct? No, it's this coming weekend. Yeah. Um, that's Chris Forsyth's event. And then uh, all of the uh, upcoming IHRA Sportsman Spectacular events have been postponed. I think it would be the, the wording there.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, look, there, there are still races on the schedule, as you mentioned, that um, have intentions of moving forward and, and so far have not been – presented the red light to, to stop those motions uh, like the Gulf, Gulfport uh, Savage performance foot 150 that Galen Rollison puts on. That's at Gulfport dragway in extreme South Mississippi. Uh, Galen talked to him today. He said he still has to go ahead from the facility to have the event and still intends 100% to have the event. So, so they're, there are some events still looking to, to move forward and as uh, we we got a text uh, late this afternoon, you and I, and I don't know if Mark was on there as well, but uh, the Dream Team event is still a go. Uh, actually, Britt said there's just a few spots left and uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big race at Memphis in um, what, almost two weeks, a little less than two weeks. So, you know, those guys are still planning to continue to move forward with their events and so far have the green light from the host facilities to to do so.
0: Yeah, I would say that those are the two biggest events on the schedule within the next, you know, 30 days, which that's the window that we're using because that's the, the timeline that NHRA has provided, uh, that they're going to basically be shut down. I would say that those are the two biggest events <clears throat> within that window um, that I can think of anyway that are as you said, as of right now, at least, um, planning to go forward with the event. Um, and in both of those cases, uh, Gulfport's IHRA as well, right? Uh, it is. Uh, okay. It I, I know IHRA facility is. Memphis is an IHRA-owned facility, um, so that those don't fall under the, the NHRA umbrella. Um, what the next five days brings who knows but like you said as of now the plan is to go forward and hold those races
1: um and, and i've Luke, seen go ahead i'm sorry i did see this afternoon which is an nhra track montgomery raceway park
0: mm-hmm.
1: as an event this weekend and they say that uh they have monitored things closely they're moving forward with the event going to have it and uh, they're doing it while taking every precaution necessary to to Keep everyone as safe as they possibly can. So,
0: um. right. I saw a similar announcement from uh, from our friend Nick Duty at Thunder Valley Raceway Park, which is another NHRA facility. And I I don't know how that works. You know, as an NHRA sanctioned event, obviously there is a loophole or a way around that, at least in it as it's currently constituted or worded. Um, I don't know if that's like uh, independent insurance. I, I I would be lying if I tried to speculate, um, but. Nick Duty Jim Howard, obviously, um, two excellent representatives of our sport that are doing their due diligence and their homework. And if they say as of right now they think they can pull it off, I know that they think they can pull it off, right? Sure. Um, so it be interesting to see what comes of that over the course of the next week. Uh, at the risk of just sounding idiotic, because I think no matter what we say here, Jed, when we play this back in a week or a month, we're going to sound really ignorant because we're really ignorant. Like we have no idea what's coming. Never, never been through this before. Right. I was going to say, you, you act like
1: you know me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but with that said, uh, like, do you have a prediction, a thought of what the next week month could bring for our sport?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, earlier today, Luke, I I got asked by several people, several of my connections around the country, basically, uh, what I thought was going to happen. And honestly, I I felt like a, a hard shutdown was coming for an event that, you know, especially of the magnitude of the ones we discussed, that's going to bring hundreds and hundreds of people from different regions of the country to gather together. Um, you, you think about how those races require some hotel restaurant support, uh, you know, gas stations, who knows what's going to happen and so sure. what kind of businesses. So the amount of support that it takes in a, in an area of the country to host a facility, I mean, host an event like we're discussing is a lot. It really does take a lot. So as those things Start getting mandatory shutdowns. I, I don't know how you have an event in an area that's getting that. Number one, from a legal standpoint, but I don't know the law, so don't, don't think I'm questioning it. I'm just, I don't know how it works. But from the other standpoint, is the, the support around the facility that it takes. You know, not everybody has a motorhome where they're going to come pile up in it for three days and not leave. So, um, my thoughts early today, especially given that I work for a, a company that's over 60 years old that typically does not respond to stuff like this and we had a major response this morning major change in the way we go about our business every day it makes me think that the whole world is going to be forced to do it so i really felt like a hard shutdown was coming uh, no later than tomorrow and we'll see this show is going to release somewhere along in there and we'll see how close we get but you know As far as the events that plan to continue to move forward, I'm not condemning them at all. I just, I'm worried about their ability to to go off as well as intended by the promoters. But, you know, if these guys, nobody knows better than they do how the, the local economy is holding up where they are and how the local businesses are operating. So if they feel like they can go, more power to them. Hopefully it works out.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's so interesting to see because we had mentioned this a little bit off air, but it, it feels so um, geographically splintered at times because my understanding of the situation in in California specifically and really on the West Coast, I don't think Chris Forsyth had any choice but to cancel the Desert Classic in Phoenix. I, agree. I, I, I just don't think travel is even possible um, in, in that part of the country. And I, my impression is that that is going to become more widespread, but it certainly has not reached certain pockets, certain areas of the country Um, and specific, like the, the, the deep South with uh, this race at Gulfport. uh, I, I don't, obviously Galen's done his due diligence there and, and like this can happen. Now it is Monday, a lot can change. Um, So I, if you, to your point, Jed, if you had asked me this morning, and again, this is so fluid, um, what, what's your take on this? I would said I would be surprised, somewhere between surprised and shocked if there was any racing anywhere that went on in the next month. But I see people that are have their finger on the pulse of this, that are doing the work, that are doing their due diligence, saying, hey, I think we can pull this off. So I'm not so sure. Let me let me let me say I would not be surprised at all if there was not any racing anywhere for the next month. Um, but I I I, I, I mean, if they can pull it off, then more power to them.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, it's uh, certainly not calling for any events to shut down. I know sure. you're not either, and you know we we are hopeful that that can bring some normalcy that, that we need to see again and, uh, folks get out and have a good time and you don't hear any bad reports. But if you're, if you're hosting an event or traveling to an event, I still think we, we have a responsibility to be, um, you know, to be as clean as we can, which that's every day of our lives. But, you know, in relation to the, the things that it takes that we've seen to, uh, to help avoid this virus from attaching to you or you attaching it to someone else. So, you know, I I think if we take the necessary precautions, even if you're going to an event that's going to be held or a restaurant or a movie theater or whatever, you know, I I still think it's okay to encourage our listeners and, and racers and anyone else to, you know, just do the things that they're asking you to do to protect yourself and others you know the extra washing of the hands and uh, how you touch surfaces and you know shaking hands luke i'm planning to go to a race this weekend and if it happens i'm going to see people from all regions of the country that i haven't seen in quite some time i'm a i'm a handshaker i'm a hugger you know i want to i want to greet these guys with touch but you know i'm going to refrain from doing those things as painful as it is just to make sure that, you know, we're, we're being socially responsible. So um, I think if everyone takes that approach, if you are going somewhere, then it was certainly will help. It definitely won't hurt things.
0: Let's take it at a, at a, at a broader sense. Um, And not that we have any, any better idea or feel for, uh, what this looks like a year from now than it does uh, a week from now. But if this is all like magically lifted tomorrow, I don't think that's even a, I, don't, I think that's a pipe dream. I know that there's a lot of uh, optimism still within the racing community. Um, I just, I don't, I think it's very safe to say we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. The economic impacts of this, if it was to um, just go away tomorrow, I think would still be significant. And as I said, I, I don't think there's any chance it's going away tomorrow. Um, for the racing economy, any thoughts or predictions there? I mean, I, I, I think you hope for the best and fear the worst, or brace for the worst. Um, I just don't see a, a scenario in which this doesn't have a significant impact.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know how I don't know how to quantify the the economic impact, obviously, but what. I am concerned about is it being big and negative in terms of, and we spoke a little bit off air about it, in terms of rescheduling of events. We all know from knowing promoters very well, because they're they're generally these days racers with us in the lanes. We all know how difficult it is to find that magical date where you fit in and you're not all over something else and something else not all over you. I don't see these events that are that are being canceled as going away I just see them as being postponed so what you're going to get in my opinion is a lot of uh, consecutive weekends and you're going to get a lot of on top of one another uh, as these events get rescheduled because there's just only so many weeks in the year Uh, so my concern is that that it's going to create a negative impact for the promoters that have postponed and the promoters that were fortunate enough to fit in the schedule at a time where you know the the impact of the virus has lowered hopefully that's you know before spring is over but who knows but your summer events feel like they're going to get piled up Luke and you know you got a summer event I got two summer events Uh, so you know, selfishly, I got a little concern for my own stuff,
0: sure. um,
1: but I'm definitely concerned for everybody in the business. Cause I think we're going to start butting heads a little more than we do already.
0: Yeah. I think that's a valid concern. And uh, again, no uh, concept context as to the uh, extent or the length of a potential, you know, shutdown. Um, but let's just assume that there is, let's say that there's no real racing for a month. That means that no one's spending money at racetracks. Uh, that means we're not burning tires. We're not burning fuel. So we're not buying either of those things. I can't imagine that the phones at JEGS are ringing off the hook. Right? It, yeah. it, it has an effect on everything. Um, and, you know, broader picture than that, there is a significant um, percentage of the, the sportsman racing community that are small business owners that work. Every, I don't think there's a single industry that is not going to be affected by this. Some obviously hit harder than others. We were talking off air um, uh, where I live here in Illinois and Mark in Pennsylvania. Um, as of tonight, uh, restaurants shut down um, outside of like drive through and, and, and takeout. Um, obviously the, the travel industry is taking a huge hit. Um, I would imagine that motels are like every industry is going to hit and that, whether that's direct or not, like that's going to have a trickle down into our, you know, motorsports economy, the extent of that and the length of that and at what point we recover, like who knows, but, um, this could get pretty dire for a lot of, um, people and, and, and facets of our industry in a, in a hurry. Yeah.
1: Good. Well, that, you know, that was the last thing we wanted to do. That sounded like so much gloom and doom. It, did. Um, it was
0: such an alarmist. Yeah.
1: But it, it's real. It's an impact that's going to be felt whether you and I said it on the just for some drag racing podcast or not. Uh, but I, I will follow that up with, you know, racing is strong. It's, it's got a tremendous network. It's got great events for racers to go to when things return to normal and they will. Um, we're Americans. We'll we'll come out of it and we'll come out of it strong. There there could be a challenge or two this year in the schedule along the way for some of these events, but all in all I think um, I don't I don't think we're looking at a lot of failures from events. I just think that they're going to be impacted somewhat and noticeable impacts, but uh, I still think they'll continue to do well because right. the racers are going to be ready to get out and scratch out when, the, when this thing lets up.
0: It'll be an interesting study too, because I've always said that while racing for 99% of us is uh, like, um, what would be the term? Like a, a nominal use of, of, Money, like a nominal expense like it's something that we choose to do it's something that in theory could get cut because it's not um, you know like our life doesn't depend on it but uh in in reality for most of us racing is not only something we love like it is our diversion from everyday life and most of us are not willing to give that up easily even when it would probably make financial sense to do so um
1: you talking to me again yeah well yeah <laughs>
0: It's funny, you know, I listened to a a sermon once and the the preacher said, you know, the best sermons come when I'm talking to myself in the mirror. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) case in point, right? So, uh, but if this was to get as bad as many predict it could get, it would be an interesting stress test on that theory, right? And the way that we all look at this. I don't, yeah. I to like say I don't want to be the the doomsdayer and and get way ahead of ourselves, but it uh there's definitely impacts coming
1: yeah, there's impacts, but hopefully people have uh, prepared themselves for that properly and the good times and there's been a a lot of good times over the last three or four years where the economy's been doing well and these businesses are doing well, so hopefully they prepared themselves for the, the quote unquote rainy day like this, and you know everybody will will come out of it doing well on the other side and we'll uh, we'll get back to racing and not worrying about financial impacts uh rather uh, except for the, the real positive ones from those big checks those racers are holding in the, the winner's circle
0: all right we got that segment done because that was definitely the hardest part of the show right oh yeah thank hopefully God. hopefully there is uh, some food for thought there hopefully it was worth listening to Let's lighten the mood a little bit and talk about some actual on-track racing. Um, the two biggest events of uh, the past two weeks since we last recorded with both of us on a show, Jed, are uh, the two events in Gainesville. The uh, NHRA divisional event, the quote-unquote baby Gators, and then the real Gators, at least for the sportsman category, uh, which actually, I guess when you figure in like, the, the global impacts of Corona, this is probably technically the most bizarre Gator Nationals ever. But from a sportsman racing standpoint, I don't think this was the most, biz- even the most bizarre Gator Nationals ever. Do yeah. you remember, I think it was 2004. You might have been there, actually. The sportsman portion of the Gator Nationals was actually moved to Orlando.
1: Uh, I was not there. I, uh, my Gator Nationals was 2006, where I passed Tech. With,
0: yeah, we we yeah, we know that's where. Which blinding
1: should. colors are supposed to be applying colors, but it was more blinding. <laughs> uh, so no, I was not there in 2004 where it was moved, but I do remember that well.
0: If we lost you, maybe in the show notes we can share a link to that <laughs> particular episode because um, it's a doozy. The, uh, but, yeah, so the, there's been weird stuff happening to the Gators. I think there was a ton of rain, and you, you couldn't park sportsman racers, and so they actually moved the sportsman to Orlando, those of you that yeah. remember that. Um, this one was certainly its own shade of bizarre. Um, pros are called off. Spectators, I th- the, my impression, not allowed at the facility. But the sportsman racing goes on, which seems um, maybe it's um, – more like knowing what we know and it seems like an odd decision because it's either like it's safe or it's unsafe right how do you kind of go halfway but I, I know that canceling the whole thing would have been wildly unpopular among the sports racers because they were already there for the most part you know at, at the divisional the, the week prior um and the race seemingly went off without a hitch and had excellent um excellent competition and uh, and some winners that we'll talk about it's just uh I, I just wonder historically we'll look back on that and go wait what you know what I mean? Like, wh- how did we come to that conclusion? But it, I, at the time it actually made sense. And I was like, Oh yeah, that, that's, that makes sense. Like don't penalize the sports guys are there. I just, I wonder when we look back, it's like, wait, what what did we just do? <laughs> well, yeah. The whole
1: event was so crazy because I, I think our listeners probably know this already, but you know, they, they just basically come out on Thursday morning and said, you know, or maybe Wednesday night, I, I can't remember the timeline where you, where you had it in there, but I uh, canceled, yeah, Thursday. So, you know, they, the pros were there, set up, those big awnings were out, and yeah. lots of big trucks and uh, thousands of bottles of soda and water and Gatorade and everything set up for the, their hospitality areas, and they were told, go home. So think, talk about financial impacts. You know, I know most of that stuff's funded by large corporations across the world, but uh, still a big financial impact. You know, the the expense is getting there and getting set up and all of that stuff. And then you got, obviously, what it costs for one of those top fuel or, or pro category cars to go down the track. But that was crazy the way that happened. But, again, I think it was a necessity. I don't think NHRA had much of a choice.
0: Yeah, no, my understanding is that the, their hands were tied and it, it is, that I think how, how odd of timing it, it looks in a vacuum just speaks to how crazy that moment was, you know, that those 12 to 24 hours, right? Because you literally, as you said, the professional rigs are there set up, most of the pros that I'm following on social media, like literally stepped off an airplane in Florida to realize it's over. <laughs> you know, like yeah. just a uh, very yeah. odd. Uh, it's something which I mean in the in the in the realm of world events over the last week, not that odd at all, right? Like not a blip on the radar, but Good in time. our world. Um, anyhow, back to results from um, Gainesville, some standout performances down there highlighted by um, the Cajun, David Latino. Double up at the Gator Nationals. I mean, it's one thing to double up anyway. It's been done like 27 times. I'm probably wrong. It's somewhere right in there. Uh, but double up the Gators. Like, that's one of the majors. David Latino, winner in both Super Stock over Anthony Bertozzi, who's also in two finals. We'll get to that momentarily. And uh, also in Stock Eliminators. So congratulations to David. Um, Lucas,
1: you, that Stock Eliminator win was over Frank Aragona. That's right. I knew it was not I a mean, big name. Obviously, he hits the bottom on a regular basis, but he's usually hitting it in a little different spot, I imagine, than that stalker. Um, that was impressive. Impressive. Frank Frank drove well, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, kudos, uh, David Latino. Kudos, Anthony Bertozzi. Anthony, not only uh, – he got the, the, the opposite, I guess, of the double win. Not the opposite because it's really difficult to get to two finals. He took the short end in both final rounds at the national event, which is – Takes like an awesome day, and it's got to be a complete kick in the uh, gut, right, yeah. to, to, to drop both finals. But nonetheless, uh, runner-up in top dragster, runner-up in Superstock, to a pair of Cajuns, not only uh, David Latino, but Ross Lurice, uh or uh, Russ Laris, <laughs> depending on how you refer to him. <laughs> um, Anthony, double runner-up, and that was actually coming off of the uh, – he got a – I believe it was Superstock win – at the baby gators the week prior so anthony on a heck of a roll to start the season
1: yeah very good performance by Antoine, and and he's off to a, another hot start which is no surprise there i think missed it just a little bit on the top dragster side and then got a little too much of it on the super stock side he needed an average yeah yeah he did fourth that which i think uh I think Russ Larris, uh laid down a pretty nice lap there in the top dragster side, too. So he was, he was going to be hard handle even if Twine hit his numbers. But nice job, Russ. Nonetheless, uh, Dave Latino with a, with a great day at the racetrack. Uh, Bertozzi with a great day when you consider points and those implications. And, and uh, a couple of sportsman standouts performed really well, too, Luke. And Brad Pleward and Ray Ray, uh, guys that, that we know always come to the table, and I know I'm skipping ahead just a little bit, but I, I'm sure that you saw because you're into this type stuff. I'm sure you saw Plord's box score.
0: Uh, yeah, pretty impressive in a in a mid-six-second bucky, bucky. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, what is this thing around? 220 miles per hour, I, I I don't know flat out what it goes. I think it's right in there, but 37. Now, this keep in mind, he's hitting the bottom, folks, with no aid you know, other than a rev limiter.
0: Yeah, in, in a this thing goes like 0.95 to 60 foot, so that's a spot that does not exist.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's got to be lit up. <laughs> uh, you got to be tired of looking at it when you leave, okay? 37, 23, 17, 15, and in the final, which he had what appeared on paper to be a decisive horsepower advantage, goes 59 in the final, which I think, was partially intentional. I and don't know what he's trying
0: to be, right? Yeah, I
1: would say he was trying to be 40 or 50, and he goes 59. Um, again, I couldn't do that in that car with a delay box
0: because
1: I would be white-knuckled from the burnout to the, to the starting line. There is, was... z-
0: uh, Jed? Yes? There is zero chance you could strap me into that car with it running, <laughs> much less tell me to let go of the switch remotely on time. So kudos to Brad.
1: Yeah. The old saying, I wouldn't get out of the electric chair to get in it. Uh, I, no way. There's no way I'd get in that thing, but just so impressive. And I, I know y'all are tired of my little man crush on Plord and how versatile I talk about he is and those things. But the guy is just a talent. Like you rarely, rarely see in sportsman racing with the things he's capable of top, bottom, whatever, uh, you know, 890 indexes, um, super stock, stock, whatever. Brad's just got all the tools.
0: Just love him. Go ahead, Luke. I'm sorry. He's a bad man. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I call Uh, him Brad. And to your point, like highlights a a list. It was basically a who's who of winners in the sportsman categories. Reigning uh, top sportsman world champion Sandy Wilkins kicked off his title defense in grand fashion with the top sportsman victory at the Gators, as did – uh, reigning Super Comp World Champion Ray Ray, Ray Miller III. Um, not only did Ray Ray get the win in Supercomp, it was pretty damn, I can say damn, right? Pretty damn impressive. I hope so. Yeah, the, damn. the box score, we were, we're big on box scores. Like Winning's winning, but I, I like to give bonus points for winning pretty. Ray Ray won pretty. Uh, I believe he laid yes. down five total for Troy Williams Jr. in the semis. Backed that up with 12 total in the final or something like that That and these aren't 8th mile wide open box scores Like that stuff's hard to do wide open <laughs> on the 8th yeah. when they pick the dial in for you and make you go twice as far I'll, it's really difficult to put down runs like that and Ray Ray just does it with regularity in pressure pack spots um, and I think perhaps even more impressive about this particular win dude was in the hospital like a couple of weeks ago
1: yeah, and keep in mind that 100% of the time he goes down the racetrack, he can go faster than the dial-in that they pick for him. So, you know, there is there's strategy playing out in every single run. There's there's no, no leg in it. Uh, so it's just impressive how good his stuff is and how good he drives it on a consistent basis. Weekend week out year in year out definitely ray ray is positioning himself to be one of the best ever in this category there's no doubt about it Uh,
0: another big winner from really the two-week stretch uh in gainesville greg slack greg slack not only a winner at the baby gators in super gas uh basically extended that win streak to what 12, 11, 12, 13 rounds, uh, going to uh, the final round at the Gators before falling in that final to Jonathan Anderson. So Greg Slack, back-to-back, back, win and runner-up in Super Gas. We said this on the last episode, too early in the season, certainly to crown a champion, um, too early in the season to even say that there's a championship front-runner. And let's be honest, there's no NHRA competition for at least the next 30 days. Who knows? Like Greg Slack may win the world because it's over, right? But he, is in, he has positioned himself in, in as well as you can early in the season with back-to-back final round. Yeah, great start
1: by Greg. Uh, Jonathan Anderson, uh, a threat to win in any class, in any car, and a borrowed car. Uh, his super gas car isn't ready, so he puts some fillers out on Facebook, gets the borrowed Roadster, uh, makes his changes, gets it ready, goes to the Gators, and wins the race. Uh, very impressive by Jonathan Anderson I saw uh, this week prior to the announcement or this weekend prior to the announcement of the cancellation or postponing of some events that you know he he's working on it making it just a little bit better getting it where he wants it so you know if he's getting it better he's Jonathan's going to continue to be a threat uh, to to win these races so good for Jonathan but Greg Slack is not in a Corvette Roadster or your typical
0: super gas ride he's in a maverick that's bonus points it's not a pinto it's not a chevette but it's still bonus points
1: it's i mean it's this is not your grandpa's maverick okay don't get me wrong this is a bad ride a, a very nice machine but i love it you know his doors open and close and he's in that maverick doing his thing and he's doing it well and he's looking over his shoulder uh, about 102% of the time he goes down the racetrack. So good for you, Greg Flack.
0: Great start. Absolutely. And just to bookend your Jonathan Anderson comments, I'm 99% sure, and you have to forgive my lack of research here, I think that's the trifecta for Jonathan as well. I'm, I'm almost certain he owns national event wallys in 890 and 1090, and I just got the one in the middle. But to win all three superclasses, it's not, you know, Jed Coughlin, Peter Biondo win six, seven different categories. But to win all three of the 90 classes at the national level, pretty impressive. Well said. Very impressive. All right. So we're going to turn the page one more time. This is something that we do annually. Um, I don't really know if anyone is, uh, is like jonesing for it or even has thought about it. But we have fun with this every year. So we felt like there's probably more need for fun than ever right now. Each year, for the last couple of years at least, I think for as long as we've been doing the show, Jed, we get, you and I, get really excited for March Madness, right? The, the NCAA college basketball tournament. And obviously we were devastated to, to not get March Madness this year. Yeah. But in the past, we've always tied some goofy competition here on the podcast to March Madness and we had intentions of doing the same thing this year and we thought you know with all that's going on in the world and all the stuff that we're all dealing with like we could use a little fun we could use a little entertainment so we're gonna have to take a break because we haven't really discussed this at all we gotta we gotta get our stuff together but we're going to attach See, normally this is so much cleaner because we can actually attach it to, to teams that are in the tournament. This year there's, there's no tournament. So I think we're going to have to seed these individually, and I don't know how we're going to determine a winner because normally we would just say such and such is the Kansas Jayhawks, and they won the national championship, so that's our winner. So we're going to have to get a little bit creative, but we can definitely seed this. Our seeding is what we will be seeding when we come back from this break, from this word from our sponsors. Okay sportsman drag racing history i think we're gonna have like 16 so we're, we're already advanced to the sweet 16 here we're gonna have a little bit of fun with that it's our own version of march madness because you know what you can stop march madness but you can't stop the sportsman drag racing podcast we'll be right back
1: as we get closer to racing season You'll need to start thinking about which of your parts could use a tune-up or replacement. Keep BTE in mind. For all of your high-performance transmission needs, torque converters, parts, complete transmissions, whatever you need, BTE does it all. Check them out at bteracing.com or find them on Facebook.
0: All right. Quick update on arguably the biggest event on the calendar in 2020. That is the Great American Guaranteed Million. The guys at the Great American Guaranteed Million have some updates, have some announcements. They are down to 67 entries remaining in the Guaranteed Million, and those spots continue to sell daily. There are seven, yes, seven, Gambler's races scheduled all across the country, so keep a close look out for those on the Great American Facebook page. It could be a chance to win an entry into the big event for a very small investment. Mickey Thompson Tires is on board as the title sponsor of the great 48 bottom bulb portion of the event. This landmark event will feature the Skog and Dickey Performance Center Factory Stock Shootout presented by SamTac. This will be a much must-watch must watch portion of the great American guaranteed million coming to Memphis Memorial day weekend. It's March. It's madness. Even though there's no March madness, I just, I'm, I'm missing it Jed. I'm getting in the mood. We don't have the the, the rights to this. We're not super tech savvy, but <laughs> it's tournament time. Da-da-da-da-da.
1: Yeah, you know most of our listeners probably not basketball people, Luke. So this is our this is our earliest part of the year where we get to get them in a bad mood and start talking basketball. So we we don't get to do that, but we're still going to have some fun with a
0: bracket of sorts. Long-time listeners are saying there's not going to be basketball for six months, and these <laughs> idiots are still talking about basketball. Right? <laughs> we're back, baby. We're back. <laughs>
1: No, this is a really good idea, though, that you came up with, and I'm, I'm loving it. And I, I think our listeners are going to love it as well.
0: <laughs> all right. So what we've got, again, our bracket, we are in the Sweet 16 of the most iconic race cars in sportsman drag racing history. We're going to roll out the bracket. We're going to come up with, we, again, we, we haven't put much thought into this at all. <laughs> uh, so we're going to come up with some fun way to actually determine final four and or the winner we're probably going to poll the listeners uh, check out the sportsman drag racing page on facebook um we're going to start off our sweet 16 big jet let's go to the crab cake region <laughs> the one seed
1: That's, that sounded so much better when you did it on you the like show.
0: that really good the crab cake region the one seed none other than the fletcher checkmate camaro Definitely deserving of a one-seat, right, Ted? Absolutely,
1: and in his, in his home region, too. So,
0: Arguably, no, not arguably, uh, inarguably, the winningest race car in NHRA history, arguably the winningest race car in drag racing history. That's Dan Fletcher's Superstock Camaro, formerly his father's Superstock Camaro, was originally, and now once again painted the bright is it hugger orange is that the right
1: uh yeah it, it's probably hugger
0: i'm not real sure okay
1: bright which orange brand
0: of orange as said checkmate down the side for years i think that there is homage to checkmate on the current version of this car obviously it has been painted in a variety of colors most recently peak summit valvoline probably missing one or two along the way but was originally orange is now orange again um guy it's an obvious one see.
1: Yes, no doubt about it. So, Luke, you, you can go ahead and cover the Crab Cake region. and, and then Okay, I got want... the whole
0: Crab Cake region. All right, yeah. two-seed, Crab Cake region. This one's actually debatable, not that it's deserving of a two-seed, but I think the only reason it's not a one-seed is because it's actually two different race cars, and we like them both so much we couldn't decide on one. <laughs> In the Crab Cake region, the Biondo Monteith Hatari. Which actually again spanned two different cars. You've got the, the later model Firebird that our our current listeners are probably the most familiar with. But prior to that there was races and world championships won in an earlier model Firebird, also named Hatari.
1: Yeah, if you're a drag if you're a national dragster fan, the image is burned into your brain of the Hatari Logo and the Firebird leaving the starting line with the, the tires three to four feet in the air. Uh, I've literally seen hundreds of those in a national dragster over the years.
0: So do you want to go to the origins of, of Hatari, or do you want me to try?
1: Oh, that's, that's definitely you.
0: Okay, so what the hell is Hatari, right? If you've been around, specifically Phil Monteith, you probably as i have have asked the question phil what the hell is a hatari definition of hatari I, I i pulled this up earlier i i should i should be better prepared again it's it's a foreign word right i, th- I want to say it's japanese i'm probably wrong but translated hatari danger
1: <laughs> appropriate especially when Biondo's in the seat
0: danger pita Danger. <laughs> if you've never met Phil, you need to ask Phil what Atari stands for because I can't do it any justice. No. But the simplified version: danger. And if you are in a lane beside Atari uh, at any point over the last twenty-five years, two decades minimum, uh, you were definitely in danger of going home early. So Atari, the Beyond Monteith Atari two-seed in the crab cake region. The three-seed, we go the long skinny variety. Not many long skinny cars made the Sweet 16, Big Jet. Funny how door cars are more iconic. <laughs> you'd think they have more personality or something. Yeah, you'd think. As dragsters go, you would be hard-pressed to find one with more personality. than the three-seed in the crab cake region, the Delaware Destroyer. That's right, Danny Bastianelli's half-body dragster. Danny, and like Dan Fletcher, like Peter Biondo, has been a guest on the show. If you haven't listened to that episode, search it. It's awesome. It is one of a kind, just like the Destroyer himself. But Bastianelli's dragster only has half a body. Has historically been Ford powered, although he has been known to slide a Chevrolet between the wheels, between the frame rails. Um, Is has always not only been a consistent winner for decades typically low et of the meat as well which uh, which danny wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> and the four seed coming out of the crab crab cake region up in the great northeast how about the dan Northrop vega isc racer tape vega former nhra super gas world championship car multi-time winner not only in the 990 category but in uh, big dollar bracket racing eighth mile quarter mile super gas wide open you name it that car has done it the Den north of vega four seed in the crab cake region
1: very strong region there some some heavy hitters and well-known vehicles in that region we will go from crab cake the crab cake region to the crawfish region if you're starting to see a pattern there you're probably following very closely um bro Number one seed in the crawfish region is the Bad News Travels Fast Vega Wagon, which I happened to see at the racetrack a couple of weeks ago. But the reason it's on this list is because of Mr. Woodrow Brackett, the guy that basically set the the world on its ear uh, in the 80s and 90s with um, traveling around and racing for a living. And doing quite well the bad news travels fast vega wagon still today has the same paint job that woodrow had on it and i think that they'll probably keep it that way forever he gets the number one seed in the crawfish region
0: legend has it that when woodrow got done with the vega woodrow rolled the vega out under a oak tree the oak trees create mm. sap I'm going to
1: say a, a messy tree is probably a pine.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, this, this went on for several years. Like the, the Vega was just out of commission for five years plus. And it was Chris Phillips originally that resurrected it. Right.
1: I believe you're correct.
0: And I believe I remember Chris telling me that it literally had like an inch thick tree sap because it didn't move from under, we'll call it a pine tree. Years. <laughs> Which fits Woodrow to a T, right? It does.
1: Good. Surprises yeah, it, no one. Rarely got washed if ever. <laughs> you now that car still it, it resides in South Georgia and it still goes to the track every weekend. So the Bevins family.
0: A similar story, and I'm gonna get us way off track here. We might have a two hour podcast. Um, not that anybody cares, like a lot of people are stuck at home, right? Nothing better to do. Yeah. Um so when I moved from, uh, I may have told this on the podcast before, if I, if I have, I apologize. When I moved from Alabama to Illinois some 10 years ago now, um, I had too many race cars at the time. Not sure how to get it all moved. Nowhere to keep them here at all, right? So uh, at some point in the journey, my good friend, Jason Lynch, lived halfway, basically, between where I lived then and where I live now. And I called up Jason. I said, hey, can I leave a couple of race cars at your shop to figure out where I can keep? Yeah, no problem. So I drop off dragster and my venerable Vega at Lynch's and left him there for like a month plus. Saw him at a race somewhere, say, Hey man, my car's doing okay. Yeah man, my Vega doing good? you know, I mean, whatever. Vegas, my Vega. Yeah, I mean your Vega's doing great, man. It's sitting right there beside my Chevelle. Oh, cool. I know he feels the same way about his Chevelle I do about my Vega. It's in good hands, right? <laughs> I get there. This is weeks later to pick up my Vega, and he wasn't lying. It was sitting right beside his Chevelle, outside in the rain. <laughs> sitting right there beside
1: so, Well, they didn't treat it any worse
0: than his. That's it's not bad news travels fast, but that's the best story I can come up with in comparison.
1: <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so we'll move on to the number two seed in the crawfish region,
0: and that is the Richardson. Camaro bird. Yeah, this goes back. This is a similar time frame, right, to the Dan Northrup Vega winning a Super Gas World Championship. Uh, Scotty Richardson's Super Gas, lone Super Gas World Championship was in a back half. What started life as a Camaro and Scotty and Edmund won numerous Super Street events in it. And uh, I think it was when the rule was changed where you couldn't run Super Street in another class, which has since been reversed. Um, they decided to make it a super gas entry. And it was literally a, a back half Camaro, a car that by today's standards should not be competitive in super gas. With Scotty Richardson in it, I'm sure he could win world championship again, right? Not going to bet against that guy. But at some point, like the history of this car became so iconic. It was a slick 50 car car. Uh, probably best remembered for when they had the slick 50 deal. Um, but there was a time where Pontiac paid NHRA contingency and Chevrolet did not. So they just made it into a firebird like taillights, the front end, it became the Camaro bird. And, uh, I think at one point before it was the slick 50 car, it was white. And I remember it being called the refrigerator. Um, and the car's seen numerous success, uh, even since the, the Richardson days, like Tony Fuller, I believe still owns it today has won a number of races in the car. Um, it's not quite on the level of Checkmate um, It's not quite on the level of, uh, of a Ricky Jones Camaro but few uh, Vehicles have seen have graced The winter circle as often as The Camaro bird
1: Very good story there You can give some history to the Camaro bird Speaking of Camaros Number three seed in the crawfish Region is old number 123 himself Tricky Ricky Jones Uncle Ricky and one of the most iconic door cars, especially in big money bracket racing in my region of the country, um, very well known. Luke been racing this car since the late '80s, early '90s. I think I, I'm probably put you on the spot there, but I, I think Ricky's been in it, you know, well over well over 25 years anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I wanna say it's like an eighty four model body style, but I, I think Ricky was racing it when it was damn near new. So yeah. I, I, I the uh and and that you may know more history. This this is that same time frame of the B and M era, right? With the Woodrow brackets, the Ricky Jones. Oh yeah. And then Ricky's taken that car a step further because it's been so dominant in recent years that we went through a transformation, right? And it's, mm-hmm. and it's back and it's with the same owner, the same driver, but take me back to the origins of the one, two, three, because my interpretation of that, my memory of that is that in three consecutive years in the B and M series, Ricky Jones was the champion, finished second and finished third. And that's where one, two, three came from. Is that accurate?
1: I believe it's 100% accurate. Yes. And, uh,
0: one two three, and you could argue. I mean, I don't. I don't think you can argue on the NHRA side. Checkmate is the winningest NHRA car ever, um, and overall, like it may be the the Bertozzi slash Underwood slash Fuquay Camaro may be the winningest car ever. I think you can make argument that the 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 winningest car ever in terms of money one dollars one. Ricky Jones Camaro's got to be right up there.
1: Yeah, gotta be. You know, he's he's won fifty in Michigan. He's been in million dollar finals and, and just won on a very consistent basis for a long, long time in the same vehicle. So uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue if somebody told me that, that it is the highest producing money car in sports and bracket racing, I would I definitely wouldn't put my money against it. And the number four seed, last and final seed in the crawfish region, belongs to Mr. Brian Canada in the Little Deuce Coop loop, which I think you're familiar with.
0: Yeah, I slid this one in there. This is more of a regional reference. If if you didn't come up um, like in the Division Four area in the Texas Oklahoma area at the time that I came up. Brian Canner's Little Deuce Coupe may not mean anything to you, but if you were from that area, you remember the car and you remember the man. Um, Brian Canner's Little Deuce Coupe was a staple at the big dollar bracket races across the country, and Brian was as unique a character as you will ever meet at the racetrack. Former cowboy, salt of the earth, nicest guy in the world, and you couldn't miss him. Cowboy hat, big beard, all the time. Um, ended up in 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 the later years of his life brian added another car to the arsenal there was the little deuce coupe and there was deuces wild right another uh chevy two's two-car team but uh, brian was a huge threat in the area i actually had the opportunity to drive the little deuce coupe once i was like 17 i think and brian trusted me threw me in the seat of that thing after i broke whatever uh car we had at the time and i will never forget it because this is one of the winningest cars in that part of the country and the shifter was literally like a piece of flat iron through the floorboard to the shift linkage and when you pulled it in the low gear you slid across a latch like you would latch a wooden gate to keep it from going to neutral when the air shifter hit i can't make this up right and this dude won all the time in it and just the, the Brian Canada story, okay, is I was actually telling this, my family and I went on vacation and we drove past the exit for Prescott Dragway and it made me think back to some good old days at the Arkansas State Championships, right? So, <clears throat> at the time, the only motel in Prescott was right at the interstate and it's probably 20, 25 miles from the interstate to the racetrack. So, this is back four motorhomes, like we all, all the racers stayed at the same motel and so... Brian, I think, had parked next to us. And we had never met him, right? Had seen him. He's an icon, right? We get to talking. and the nicest guy in the world. Pretty quiet, pretty gruff old cowboy. And we decide, hey, we're going to carpool back and forth to the motel room. And so we have 20 minutes of just the most amazing conversation every morning, right? And, And every evening. And I'd remember distinctly Brian telling this story. He's an old cowboy, right? Literally rode in the rodeo, cowboy. And he, he builds up this story for, I mean, 20 minutes about how he's a man is at rodeo, and they had the biggest, baddest bull in where world. He scared the hell out of me. But I drew him. Hell, you can't not ride him, you know. I mean, and he's on and on like – This this thing kill me. I ain't feeling good about this. He built it up for twenty minutes, and you just know, like it's he's the hero at the end of this story, right? Because that nobody's going to tell a story and build it up that long without being the man at the end, right? He builds it up, builds it up, builds it up, and then we're like pulling in the gate at the racetrack. So Brian, what 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 happened? Well, that so much bucked me. I was like, I broke my back, and that was the end of the story. That was it. (laughs) It's over. What happened? I like to kill. <laughs> uh, that was Brian. Rest his soul. Uh, passed away in a motorcycle accident. Not long after that, the, the little Deuce Coupe is probably still somewhere racing. I would love to uh, to see a picture of that. But yeah, it's a four seat. It's probably not going to win the Crawfish region, but we had to sneak it in.
1: <laughs> well, that covers the Crawfish region and uh, some iconic race cars in there. And now, Luke, we will move to another region of the country that you will
0: cover that's it let's let's go out west it's the tofu region (laughs) now this is no different than seeding the tournament (laughs) sometimes the 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 top teams are not necessarily located in the west and they have to be received they have to be shipped out west right so that's right so not every uh uh, um, seed here in the tofu region is a west coast car we got a couple um but the one seed in the west car that most uh, listeners, I would assume uh, present day listeners of this podcast are familiar with. Um, arguably the most iconic race car of the last decade. Uh, it's Mitch Clary's Fancy. The only, I think, only other dragster to make the list.
1: I think you're correct. Uh, it would be great to have a Raven McIntyre drop right here, but uh, I doubt we're fancy enough to have that
0: in there. She said, here she wants not let me down. She said, but. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah, fancy not, very not, well known. I'm not singing. For
1: <laughs> um, the, the big dollar bracket race scene, and uh, Fancy's probably done her share of winning on the NHRA side as well. Maybe even IHRA. That, those guys. Yeah, I got for up, quite a while.
0: I, got, I definitely got an up close view of Fancy winning one national event. Uh, yeah, saw that from the other lane. But I think yeah, a handful anyway. And between and, and if you're not familiar with this, this is the Overkill Motorsports, uh, Phantom Dragster, owned by Mitch Clary, that saw Troy Williams Jr., Gary Williams, uh, Champ, multiple racers win multiple big dollar events over the span of the last decade. Yeah. No, no many big name racers that hadn't driven Fancy at some point and won in Fancy at, at, at some point. Uh, fancy rested soul. Uh, it's it's done right it got it got cut up and thrown in a dumpster a couple of years ago I believe yeah. will, will holloman had a crash at galat that ended uh the fancy rain but it had a heck of a run
1: no doubt about that
0: at the two seat in the tofu region another one that had to get shipped out west it wouldn't be a list of iconic race cars without the loose <laughs> And honestly i don't know If it should be the Omni or if it should be the – was it the other one, a Challenger?
1: Definitely the Omni.
0: Yeah, it's got to be the Omni, right? Yeah. So the Laboose Omni, two seed in the tofu region. I don't even think it needs an explanation. Obviously, we're talking John Laboose Sr., uh, pioneer of bracket racing in general, certainly on the big dollar side. That car has won super gas events. That car has won God knows how many – um, bracket races across the country. In fact, if you—that's another one you could throw in the conversation—is winningest car of all time. Like just race wins, that car's got to be up there.
1: Yeah, and I would put money on this car uh, having the most tracks visited out of this entire list.
0: That's probably fair.
1: Yeah, this this guy would race anywhere, anytime, three, four days a week, from literally this car with the same hauler from the mid '80s to the. You know, 2010s. It's
0: crazy. Another car that would be in the conversation for winningest car of all time. This one actually gets to stay home in the tofu region. Yeah. Ted Seiple's historic, prestigious, iconic Austin Healy. Um, I did a story on TED for DragRaceResults.com. It's going to be like 10 years ago now. I'm sure you can dig that up in their legend series. But we talked a lot about the Austin Healey, why uh, he originally went that direction for a race car. It, it had to do with the factory subframe, like you know, basically holding the power. Um, but this is a car that was built into a race car in like, the early 60s and is yeah. still in competition today.
1: Yeah, he's been racing the same car uh, since it was built. And, I, Luke, I do believe he is all over 60 years of competition <laughs> in Just the same. same friggin' car. Unbelievable.
0: And uh, the, the four seed in the tofu region, another one that got shipped out, a similar story a little bit different, but a car, a car and driver that go back a long, long time. And that is Ben Wenzel in his Camaro, which uh, Mark actually did some research for us off air. The story goes, Ben Wenzel purchased this car off of the showroom floor. I believe it's a 1967 model Camaro, purchased it new in 1967 for like $3,400. Drove it home, 25 miles on it, the only 25 miles that it ever saw on the street. It was a race car ever since. So that's for the last 53 years. Ben um, won the US Nationals, I think it was in 67, one, one, of, one of the first US Nationals. Um, and then followed that up in recent years by winning it again. Um, cool story, cool car. The coolest thing about the car, it still has the factory paint, and he still has the window sticker from the dealership. Very cool. Taped up in the window. Yeah, awesome.
1: All right, so that covers the tofu region. So we will now move to the poutine region. Um, obviously, you've figured out by now that the, our regions are centered around food that we feel like kind of fits the region. So you're probably asking yourself about the poutine region. The West Coast uh, hates us. Hates us. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be happy about that at all. Uh, so you'll have to look that up, but it's it's this whole fries and gravy thing that's uh, better known in Canada, but I think it eases across the line. So we, we wanted to give our Canadian friends a little bit of love as well and put the poutine region. Be careful how you Google that. Um, you know, we wanna, we, wanna, easy, we easy. want you to be cautious, but look up poutine and you'll get to see that delicious dish. From there, in uh, in the Canadian area, but nonetheless, the number one seed is an iconic vehicle that is owned by owned by uh, some legendary figures in the racing sportsman racing community, and it is the Buck Camaro, um, currently driven by Blake Fuquay but. Better known to be driven by one Kenny Underwood, and Buck is Bertozzi, Underwood, and Coughlin, and um, I believe that's correct if I remember right. Luke, but yeah, I don't.
0: Uh, I honestly don't even know who owns that car today. I, I guess it, I would assume it's still Anthony's. I can't imagine he'd get rid of it. I,
1: yeah, I think it still is. I think a few quays have that one uh, on loan, and Blake doing a good job of driving it. But this car is—it's uh, one million dollar race. It's It's won everything. Uh, One Kenny Underwood shoe in it has uh, put this car, made this car famous by himself, but uh, it is extremely well known and extremely um, accomplished in sportsman racing. No doubt. Before
0: Underwood ever took the wheel of this car, Anthony Bertozzi won I think the bulk of his IHRA national championships certainly is the bulk of his IHRA super stock national championships. were in that Camaro. I'd say he's got a minimum five in that car before he switched over to the Grand Am. Um, Underwood won the IHRA hot rod world championship in that car. And then as you said, went on to win the million and seemingly every other big dollar bracket race in the country in between Slate Cummings had a lot of success in that car in the, in IHRA super stock. Um, Blake has done well and will continue to do well as, as he um, advances in his racing career. Another one that's been a race car for a long time, and I guess is a little bit sneaky because it's been used by so many different drivers in so many different formats, but uh, another one of arguably the winningest cars ever, um, and has largely had a, a similar paint scheme over the years. Like I don't know if if you saw the original Anthony Bertozzi version of this in Superstock, if you recognize the same car today, but it is definitely the same car and has done like, a lot of impressive things on racetracks all across the country.
1: Yeah, very well said. No doubt about that. And uh, very deserving of the number one seat in the Poutine region. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it I'm sounds sure I'll great. Get corrected. I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> I'm sure, I'll get corrected. If you think
0: it's not getting shouted out, you've got another thing.
1: <laughs> the number two seat in the Poutine region and I'm enjoying saying Poutine region, is the legendary, legendary King Kong. Sheldon Gecker's King Kong. Um, Luca. I, I should have been better prepared. Was it a LeBaron or?
0: No, it was a Daytona, wasn't it? Daytona
1: is what it was, a Dodge Daytona, yes. Um, everybody everybody remembers Sheldon Gecker and the King Kong. This car was very iconic. Uh, In the National Dragster as well. Spent a lot of time in there. And uh, Sheldon, obviously, bracket raced at a very high level, too.
0: Uh, Yeah, one of the pioneers of the super gas category. I think this was when uh, Kevin McKenna was on. uh, He had to refresh my memory on it, if I I believe. uh, Sheldon Gecker in King Kong, one of only two, two two-time NHRA super gas champions in the history of the category. Trivia
1: time. Wow.
0: Who's the other? Close friend of yours.
1: Um. Ah, you had to give it to me. I'm not real, not real good at that one, obviously.
0: Sheldon Gecker and Sherman Adcock.
1: Oh, Sherman. Sure. Yeah. Sherman. Sure. I, 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 he was a former car owner when I passed tech at the Gators, but we've we've already talked about that. Um, <laughs> uh, search that one, guys. Search but again, who doesn't remember the King Kong Mopar? Uh, iconic race car, very deserving, and in the number two spot in the Poutine region. Number three in the Poutine region. You, it's according to what era you're more familiar with. It they, they did transition from one vehicle to the next, so you might be familiar with both. It's either an Opal or a Nova that you're going to remember having high times. High Hi, times. David, David Rampe used to used to bring that old Opal. Nice cars, very well built, especially back in the day when you didn't see a ton of nice hot rods, and he brought the high times Opal to my home track when I was young, and just remember how cool it was to watch him go out there and race. And then he transitioned into the, the Chevy two, but, um, legendary driver, arguably uh, top two or three in uh, sportsman racing history. And, you know, even has, uh, even has a car that that you might not remember on this list in the high times Opens Nova and Luke, I, I started in 84 and I can remember David, bringing out Opal out. So I'm not real sure when an Opal started getting raced, maybe even late 70s. But I don't know when he transitioned to the Nova, but both of those vehicles were just cars that I, I, I was in awe of watching him race back in those days.
0: It yeah, would have to have David back on, but I am 90-ish percent. I, I'll, I'll go I'll go complete Kyle Seipel on you, Jed. I'm 87% sure <laughs> that uh, David Rampey's first world championship came in IHRA's 990 category behind the wheel of the high times. Open. Wow.
1: I did not know that. That's uh that would have been good trivia as well. Well, Again, I, mean, uh, I mean, there's
0: a 13% chance that it's completely inaccurate.
1: A, a, good, a, a legendary driver and car uh, pushed to, uh, push to the French fry and gravy district, but um, <laughs> it's going to be, going to be hard to handle David in the number three seat. I assure you. And uh, wrapping up the list, Luke, I guess a car that probably everybody that's listening has seen a picture of in its time, because you just can't forget it, the, the, uh, I don't know know what word, the symmetrics, maybe, uh, that that this car has, but, you know, the driver, it's a 55 Chevrolet, and the driver was basically almost sitting on the, the differential. And he wasn't moved back. The differential was moved forward, and it was—I uh, believe it was Nick Iarusi's Godzilla shoebox. Right. It
0: was Nick and Joan, right?
1: Nick and Joan, yeah, or Nick and Joanne, uh, one of two, I but, but
0: right.
1: yep, yep. one of the two. But um, Nick Iarusi's '55 Chevrolet shoebox Godzilla, uh, maybe w- one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, on the list. Just from you could not forget it. When you saw the car one time it it just stuck in your brain forever and uh obviously the the differential move forward helped those cars hook and you know, they would they would do things that other cars wouldn't in that era, but
0: um Yeah, and it just, would be it would be one I don't think it would be as remembered or as iconic if it wasn't so successful. Like it was unique. Yeah. It was awkward to look at, but they won a lot of money in that car. And I'd have to get Nick on, which actually might be a possibility, too, for a future episode. I actually got the pleasure of meeting Nick in Norwalk several years ago. Um, cool. Yeah. But uh, I remember, like, there being a theory of getting out of the bald spots. I don't know if that was the idea behind moving the <laughs> rear end forward in that car. But I remember that being the talk at, at one point, like the short wheelbase cars got an advantage because they don't have to drive through that ball spot. I, every 67 Camaro leaves in the same spot, right?
1: Yeah. Good point.
0: I don't think it's really an issue now, but track prep, you know, 20, 30 years ago might've been some cre- credence to that. I, I don't know if that was the the reasoning behind shortening the wheelbase of, uh, of the shoebox, but it definitely did create a unique look.
1: Yep, no doubt about it. And uh, that, that wraps up the Poutine region, uh, all 16 of those seeds. I'm not sure what region's facing which at this point, but we'll, we'll get into that uh, later. We'll, yeah,
0: the technicalities, we'll work that out, right? So one versus four, two versus three in each region. We'll post up some polls. Give us the votes. I'm interested to see who makes the final four, who ends up the international champion, because we can't time the college basketball teams this year. So we're going to have to decide yeah. this You know, in some like relevant way uh, a couple quick honorable mentions uh cars that we thought about that didn't make the list and let's be honest here um i'm sure we missed several oh yeah bring those to our attention as well um but some that uh that that were worthy of mention but we ended up not seating in the the 16 car field and you could even say that these were huge upsets jed these were these were high seated cars that uh that got knocked off along the way possibly sure uh, honorable mention to the pennington roadster um roadsters i think they built a dozen of them initially and what's crazy about the pennington cars is we look at them today and the, and the pennington family has done an incredible job of uh rejuvenating these cars right they look new and they still look swoopy they still look like something that's relevant in 2020 these cars were built in the late 80s yeah it is it's nuts and the faster that they go the better that they work and they like i say they look cool by today's standards and obviously have won a lot along the way i think we had to select one we would select the the one pennington family car the one that peeps drove to the, the million dollar race win in vegas um i had bud dameron's altered on the list that's bud dameron's that's kurt's father um and the the dameron family obviously synonymous with undercover race cars and and really were the first to build what we would consider like the modern sportsman dragster. But prior to those really coming into popularity, Bud Dameron won the Super Comp World Championship in a center steer altered. That is the true definition of a buggy. And it was cool. Like it made people want an altered. It's the reason that I started racing an altered when I came up because my dad loved Bud Dameron's car. So had to conclude that uh, as an honorable mention. The Rusty Cook Monza of years past this was uh this the car that rusty drove to multiple ihra world championships and i think the best story that sticks in my mind for rusty cooks monza is there was a season in which rusty locked up the ihra super rod world championship in like june like he won every race that you could go to like literally 10 out of 11 or something ridiculous it was over very early in the year, to the point, I, the reason I remember this is I remember Mike Fuquay begging Rusty to put it into Hot Rod for the rest of the year to see if he could win both championships, 990 oh. 90, in the same car in the same year. And Rusty laughed that off and just kept kicking everybody's butt in 990 because he could. But <laughs> that, been that, cool. that was a very, very uh, winning car. Uh, in its day. And, uh, the last one that I had on my list was, uh, was a London long skinny one. Jeff Cheney used to have a dragster that, uh, it just said incognito down the side. And at the time, like maybe Jeff Cheney could go incognito. That didn't last long. But this is, I just remember this from my youth because Cheney would roll into tracks like Noble, Oklahoma, like Texas Raceway in Kennedale, and nobody would know who he was. And he was in a white dragster that said incognito, like he was literally incognito until he won the five grand or or 10 grand or or 20 grand or or whatever it was that they were racing for and took that money back to Minnesota. So incognito sticks with me.
1: Very cool. Awesome list of uh, iconic race cars and and legendary drivers and looking forward to see how this works out but uh, as Luke said we we'll, we'll put up some stuff on the Facebook page for you guys to interact with us and certainly don't hesitate to, to throw your favorite iconic race car out there that we missed.
0: Whew, we covered a lot. Did, yeah yeah we've done some long episodes. this one's got to be up there.
1: This was a long show but it, it uh, you know it's what happens when we're away uh, from a group discussion like this. For There's a little a thing while,
0: or we, two going on in the world, like, yeah,
1: we got a lot to talk about some very yeah. important subjects, and our listeners deserve us to give them everything we got and we just We're don't here all, for you. we just don't have much very, very often but tonight <laughs> we brought it we brought it strong, that does wrap us up, and uh, definitely appreciate you guys listening and tuning in and can't wait to see your interaction on the Facebook page. Uh, definitely want to thank our great sponsors b t e and the great American bracket race and dream team challenge appreciate those guys helping us out with the show and uh luke you uh you hinted a little bit about some shouts i can't wait
0: i'll try to keep this brief because we got to be pushing two hours shouts to ross Larice, to russ laris shouts <laughs> to brad lord and the man crush that you have bestowed upon him shouts- i love you brad Shouts to, I love you too, Brett. Shouts to Greg Slack and the Maverick and Mavericks everywhere. Yes, the year of the Mavericks. Shouts to the Dallas Mavericks. Oh. Shouts to Luka Doncic. Shouts to Mark Cuban. Shouts to French fries and gravy. Be careful with the Google search. And shouts to the 2006 internationals and nhra tech officials (laughs) love it your shout
1: game was on point very well done my friend and uh, that brings us to an absolute close here Uh, episode i believe 171 if you've listened to all of them give yourself a pat on the back because you deserve it um let us know what you think tell us where we got this list right where we got it wrong Interact with us when Mark, uh, producer Mark, gets that up on the Facebook page, and uh, and tell us what you think about the list and and who goes where and wins what, and um, again you do that right there to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast Facebook page, or if you're a Twitter person you can uh, tweet Luke or myself right there on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at J-P-11X, and again. Appreciate you. If you listen to this whole show, uh, just sit back and relax, and uh, and you won't have to hear from us again here for a couple of weeks, but uh, we've got some interviews coming up, so enjoy those. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast, and we can't wait to talk racing with you again soon.
0: Yeah. In all seriousness, be careful out there. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people around you, and uh, I don't know. Maybe let's try to uh, direct a little bit less energy toward uh, blame and a little bit more energy toward Love love each other. If you want some, come and get some. Cause I'll be willing to bet that you don't want none. If you want some, come and get some.